I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. I can't start this podcast the way I usually do and have for the last seven years because I don't feel the same way uh, as I have before. As a matter of fact, the last time I felt this way, it was 1992. And I was on a hilltop in Palos Verdes watching LA burn. I was going to school at Cal State Northridge at the time, bartending at a restaurant called Jeremiah's in Northridge. When the rioting got bad, they closed the restaurant and cut us loose. It took me about five and a half hours to drive from Northridge to Redondo Beach. Uh, and for those not in Southern California, that drive should have been, at that time, it should have taken me about 40 minutes. And I saw some things that I, can, I cannot forget, nor will I ever forget. In the 28 years since then, it looks like very little has changed. Watching Los Angeles go through this again is absolutely heartbreaking. And I fear for my friends, many of whom are designers and showroom managers, owners of showrooms, who have spent so many years creating and developing their businesses. I'm saddened by this, and even more so by what's brought this on. For those of you who have been affected by this directly and indirectly, my heart goes out to you and yours. And from all of us uh, here at Convo by Design, we are with you. I, I believe because I've seen that the healing process is slow, and better when you don't have to do it alone, um, we're here for you. In the spirit of LA, as a true Angelino, the show must go on. And it will, as it always does. But some things have to change. And that being said, while not perfect by any stretch, I've seen changes in Los Angeles, changes for the better. We're having more conversations, more challenging conversations about issues that go far deeper than design and architecture, for sure. But this week is one that I hope allows you to just feel the wind in your face and begin to heal a little, a little bit from what has become the most challenging times in many, if not most, of all of our lives. So take a deep breath with me and enjoy this conversation from the Westage Design Fair, all about blending indoor and outdoor design. <laughs> California has long led the design world in providing new ways to blur the lines between inside and out. The climate, lifestyle, and California mindset provide everything but the design itself. True indoor-outdoor living is less about windows, doors, and walls, but more a combination of skill, material mastery, and topographical strategy. This is a great conversation featuring Stephen Block, owner of Inner Gardens, a boutique Los Angeles nursery, Joan Barton, from Dirty Girl Construction, Brett Englander of Cerno Lighting, and Duan Tran of KAA Design. This conversation is moderated by Modern Luxuries group publisher Christopher Gialanella. I think you're going to love this. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by 
the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. We are thrilled to be here at Modern Luxury. For those of you who don't know what Modern Luxury is, we're the premier regional publishers of magazines like Interiors, which is on your seat, Angelino Magazine, LA Confidential, Beverly Hills, and we recently just launched Palm Springs. So talk about taking over a lot of Southern California. Uh, We emphasize a lot on blurring the lines between inside and outside living, especially living here in California. I mean, it's amazing the architecture that we have and all these amazing people that are, we're going to be speaking to today. And I will start with uh, Stephen Block, who's the president of Inner Gardens. Thank we you have Duan Tran, the partner at KAA Design. We've got Hello. Brett Englander, the owner of uh, Cerno. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. And then last but not least, we have Joan Barton here who's a general contractor over at Dirty Girl and designer at Dirty Girl Construction. Say hello. <laughs> right. Yes. So we are thrilled to be here on a Sunday. What better place to be than at West Edge, spending the time with these wonderful people. So I'm really going to just start, and we're going to get right into it. Are you guys ready? Ready. Let's do it. We're ready. Stephen, I'm going to start with you. Who is driving this movement of inside and outside living? Is it the client, the architect? The landscape architect, the product designers? I think, that, I think that clearly at this point in the genesis of indoor-outdoor living, everyone is driving it. But I think historically, um, I have found that the interior design community, uh, for, for relative to my work, has been the driving force. Uh, landscape architects, with all due respect, landscape architects have historically been moving dirt, you know, building walls, transitional walkways, pools, doing all the really difficult um, uh, technical work in landscape. And I found, you know, maybe 10 years ago that, that oftentimes they were not, what I say, finishing the job, which is, which is decorating it, which is putting the benches and the fountains and the chairs and the, what became a television. I think a television is something that also drove outdoor living and then I've been thinking about this, and one other just sort of technical thing is, you know, it seems like we started with a door that went to the outside, and then it became a French door that went to the outside, then it became a folding accordion door, and now they're big steel doors that slide into one another, and it really blurs the interior, the exterior, and I think as a result of that, uh, interior designers particularly saw an opportunity to furnish the exterior, so it's an extension of the interior. And therefore, the world of furniture blew up. And now the exterior furniture world is as big as the interior furniture world. Right. I agree. Duan, who do you think is driving this force? You know, I would, you know, our clients, quite honestly, I mean, nowadays, and I think, Stephen, you hit it on the head, clients are more intelligent and sophisticated about design. And quite honestly, especially here in Southern California, I'm sure we can all test where you know, property values and what you're actually getting for the dollar is a lot less than what you would otherwise get. And so our clients are coming to us with an understanding that with their beautiful piece of property that they just bought, what they're trying to do is maximize and leverage as much of the value as possible. And so it's not about building whatever house they can get on that and then they'll make do as much as they can with the outside. 
but it's really about how do you leverage and create as much value over the entire property. So the one of the things that we always talk about at our firm is that we start day one where we look property line to property line. It's not about designing the house and we'll landscape around that. And in doing so, it allows us to really kind of work with the client based on what they're trying to do to really leverage and create outdoor spaces that really capture that indoor-outdoor seamless uh, effect. You know, for us, I feel we're, we're blessed that we do not have mosquitoes and bugs where we could actually enjoy being outside. Right. I grew up on the East Coast and, you know, in the summertime, the humidity and all the mosquito bites I got, I couldn't even imagine my parents keeping a door open, right. you know, to have this kind of lifestyle of living, especially with you, Brett, with lighting, you know, how does that kind of focus, how do you focus the lighting with the outside? Do you have like, you know, do the bugs get attracted to the lighting or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I don't know the science behind it, uh, but li- light, Fill us in. Light, lights definitely tend to attract bugs uh, the way we address it in our designs. Uh, you know, historically, a lot of light fixtures just become almost a duplicate of the house. You've got walls and you have a roof and then you've got an opportunity for them to get in there somewhere and collect. Uh, we've always done our kind of due diligence in wanting the fixtures that are going to be outdoor to be similar to what they were when they were designed to be indoor, and they don't have that. They don't have those characteristics. So there is no bottom. There is no area. They're all kind of passed through where you could literally hose them down and get them away. But yeah, I think it's important when designing anything to think of what it will be interacting with, and bugs uh, happen to be one thing that do interact commonly with lights, and that's how we try to address it. Yeah. Now, who do you think is driving the movement? I agree with what Steven said. I think as far as the movement specifically to blurring the lines, uh, it's the interior designers and obviously our clients, um, but wanting to be able to preserve that. So what we've seen from day one is, because we didn't have any outdoor fixtures until recently, um, those are the elements I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, um, from, from day one, we had designers saying, can we can we take this outside? And the answer was no. We, we weren't building them to be robust enough or resilient enough, but now we are. So it's always been the interior designers for us. And, and, and as I say, lighting is the, such a critical part of the exterior. It becomes a, you, become, you have a different garden at night than you have in the daytime. And so that, that blurring, that extension of the house, is critical path is lighting. Sure. Joan. Has climate change affected the way you design and build? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a matter of fact, sort of what Stephen's talking about with lighting and materialists, you know, we're, we're dealing with um, more rain and a lot more heat. I and mean, just this weekend, it was 90 degrees and we were all dying and the sun was really hot and painful. Um, what's happening is the things that we build don't that we used to build 10 years ago don't last as long now because we're we're seeing the long-term effect of the sun and the amount of uh, moisture that we're getting we have a thousand more species of mold that we're dealing with because of that um and a lot of products that were brought out and thought to be sustainable products in the last decade are failing we're seeing the failure rate at this point every seven years we see the failure rate so we're having to constantly re-engineer and redesign and, and develop products that will allow us to live outside. Um, one of the other things that I think that drive the outdoor movement at this point 
is the fact that we can't build as much house as we used to. You know, so code is driving that as well. So capturing outdoor space has become imperative for a lot of people who need resale value or just need the room. You know, there's, you can't build as much house, so where do you put your extra living space that you want to have? Well, it goes outside. That's just simply where it goes. Absolutely. Now, Joan, in your, how long have you been in business? Tell us a little bit about your, your company. Uh, Dirty Girl has been in business since 2008, and I've been in business since 2004. All right. <laughs> if right. that makes sense. Great. Yeah. And then uh, I've known Brett for about 10 years uh, down in Laguna Beach. Tell us about your business, Brett. What inspired you to start it, and where is it going into the future? Oh, the future. Um, we started 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> I hope there's going to be a future. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, uh, show me that crystal ball. I'll tell you where the future is going to take us. Um, we started 10 years ago. Um, two of my best friends who I grew up with in Laguna Beach. Uh, we grew up loving to design and build things. Uh, we had no idea that Sereno um, would be an extension of that, but it really was. When you look back on all of our childhood projects, uh, and it worked out really well because my business partner, Daniel, ended up studying mechanical engineering and my other partner, Nick Sheridan, um, studied architecture. My background was more in the development side. Um, and so the three skill sets complement each other really well. And then for the future, yeah, I would just say expanding the line, doing things responsibly, caring about materials, caring about process, and just doing the right thing. And hopefully that leads into a long future for our business. Awesome. Let me ask you a question. As a manufacturer, what have you learned from design professionals, i.e. architects and tier designers, as they source outdoor fixtures for their clients? I touched on it a little bit earlier. I think they want to bring indoor outside, which is what we're all talking about right now. And for us, it was just understanding how to build kind of on the electronic side and the material palette side, something that's going to be resilient enough to withstand outdoors but also not compromise what we were designing when we were designing exclusively indoors. So that's, I think, the biggest thing that I've seen from our trade customers. Great. Duan, what is your approach in designing a successful indoor-outdoor space? Well, I think I, I kind of mentioned a little earlier, which is really taking that approach on day one, that we value outdoor space as much as we value indoor space. And I, I would say that, unfortunately, a lot of architects err on the side of, okay, I'm going to make a killer house or a killer project, and I'll just let everybody else figure out the rest. And that includes landscape architects, includes interiors, includes a lot of other people. And so as much as we can, I think is that the things that are important is for us to create a holistic approach that at least values exterior spaces as much as we do interior spaces and in doing so really creating those as being or making those rooms and I think having that point of view on day one really ensures that outdoor spaces are very integrally designed and thoughtfully uh, materially specified and built to um, the integrity of the house. So. Mm -hmm. Stephen, you know you, you work with a lot of you actually have a whole antique portion of your business how do you um, integrate the antique furnishings with indoor and outdoor? Well, the first thing is I'm happy to hear that you're paying attention. <laughs> and, and from the beginning, designing outdoor spaces, uh, Inner Gardens is truly an indoor-outdoor company. And uh, we've been, I think, um, unfortunately, I've been the longest in business here, probably anybody. We're, I think I just realized we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary next September. Oh, congratulations. And, and, and we are a landscape design firm and 
really sort of exterior decorators, uh, and we enjoy a huge um, uh, inventory of antiques from all over the world. So um, we're, we're always working with professionals. I mean, clearly we work with, with the client as well, but our business has been based on working with professionals because um, of the price points of the kind of antiques and furnishings that we buy. Not everybody really understands it. And our showroom is big and full, and it's really difficult for many people to, to see anything. So um, we really have marketed all these years to the design professional who can walk in and who has a budget and can say, well, this piece is this much, and yes, that's more than we planned on, but we can take it from someplace else. And they also understand the merchandise. Um, but it's uh, I, half of our merchandise, which is typically, typically antique, um, usually with a lot of texture and patina um, that people think has to go outdoors, actually goes indoors. That's why we have these relationships with, the, with interior designers as, as well, a big relationship. And to your point, one of the problems that we've had in, in recent years is finding lighting that works in wet environments. Yeah. You know, it's easy to find a bullet, you know, that, you know, that works there. But if you want a chandelier or if you want something to really make an outdoor space, it's really limited. Um, so I'm happy to hear if you're working that angle. Um, and I think that's a really important point because one of the things that people don't understand is it's actually harder to build these outdoor spaces in a way than it is to build the indoor spaces. We've got the indoor space down. We've been doing it for a long time. Everyone wants to have this outdoor area. Lighting's a huge problem. A room. They want it's rooms a room. outdoors. And it's supposed to function like it's inside, but it's getting weather and it's getting bugs and we've got code issues to deal with so how do we have a dark sky compliant lighting fixture and make it feel like a room which means it can't shine up it can only shine down and there's not a lot of choices there's and that's because there's code to follow and there's there's safety issues and there's economy issues and there's climate issues and there's all these different issues that get wrapped up into how do we design this thing that everybody's going to want and it's it becomes very custom and it be, then it becomes very expensive. So um, to consider the outdoor space from a building standpoint is a really, uh, for me as a builder, and I think for everybody as a design team, is it's a new language that we're all learning together, and it's uber important that we work as a team to create these spaces that not just are safe and economical and beautiful, but allow you to actually move between the spaces without letting the outside inside when you don't want it inside. You know, when with these zero transitions and the drainage and the watershed and all these things that nobody thinks about when they're saying, I really want an outdoor kitchen. There's so much that goes into that. There's so much more, I think, that goes into that. And it's a big conversation. What is the most, Duan, I'm sorry to cut you off. What, is the, what are you seeing like the latest trends are? What do your customers want the most right now? Well, you, you know, I think, uh, again, it just goes back to the client, and, and, and at least in our observation, they're so much more aware and so much more sophisticated about what's out there that they're less likely to take a subpar level of finish. Mm -hmm. And so aesthetics, furnishings, lighting design, um, everything has to be on par with the high level of finish that they're expecting from the inside. And so that's kind of the biggest thing that's, that's, that's driving it. The other thing that we're also seeing a lot as well is that the idea about the covered outdoor space, which um, is a covered outdoor room for all intents and purposes, is really kind of taking on a little bit of a, a notion of being of a wellness center. And that's, that's kind of new as well. 
Um, you know, outdoor spaces are no longer just covered rooms or just functional outdoor barbecue areas, right. that they're outdoor gyms, it's the spa, it's all these other things that, especially here in Southern California, that a lot of people are very much attracted to, the notion of health. And so, um, aside from just the function, there's a healthy notion that's going along to clients wanting to have these healthy programmed rooms. Health with a healthy pizza oven. Yes. Because a, a pizza oven, uh, the outdoor, the, the outdoor some, what they used to call in the South, the summer kitchen, is, is now, you know, that's paramount. But the pizza oven has become the hot commodity now. And it's always a, it's always a debate whether whomever was driving that, whether it's a husband or a wife, who's going to deal with the wood if you, get, if you really want the wood flavor of a pizza oven, it's a lot of work, yeah. right? Uh, and so it's, 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 I have this debate going on in multiple projects right now. You know, with a gas one, you just turn it on and you cook your pizza. But if you really want to do the whole deal, it's the wood burning and it's really a lot of work. But that to me, it seems to be everybody's desire now outside. Interesting. When you're designing a home, Joan, do your clients bring up the fact of, hey, we want to do something outside, or is it mostly, what can we do inside? I th- lately, it's both, really, in the last three or four years with ADUs, which is a whole animal into itself that's ever-changing right now as well. So it's, it's, that's a constant. Uh, when we could build setback to setback, that conversation wasn't happening. Now that there's a limit on how much space we can build. It's, it's always in the conversation. It's absolutely always in the conversation. And there's a lot of co-housing and, and mixed-use living. and So that lends itself to wanting a separate space. So when you're in a co-housing situation or a, a, any place where you're in mixed-use, you want to have, which is typically downtown, which is what I'm finding, um, there's not outdoor space available. So you're, it's interesting. We're creating some outdoor spaces inside to make it feel like you're outside, but you're actually inside. So there's a lot of different things going on, but it's always a conversation now. And it starts with kitchen, bathroom, living room conversation, but then it extends automatically to, to the outdoor living, always. Do you find it also moving to the rooftop? Yes, there has been, yeah, in the last year or so, um, taking advantage of that. Now, not everybody does it when they realize what goes into it expense-wise, but right. it's, it definitely becomes part of the conversation. Right. But that's and, found space. Yeah, it's, and basements. Because right. those don't count towards square footage. So that's also now the conversation. It's a lot of different things happening. Interesting. Yeah. Brett, how has technology like LEDs changed the game with outdoor lighting? The biggest impact and it's had for us is the size. So you no longer are building something around kind of the Edison bulb, if you will. Uh, now you have something that's wafer thin and this big. You need proper heat sinking. But as designers, I think it's our job to embrace the technology and design kind of to its advantages. And it's really liberated the design process for us. A lot of what we do is really thin, small profiles. And like we're, all these things we're talking about, um, designing for the outdoors allows you to keep that close to the wall and then have the fixture not protrude, but still be ADA and everything else. And then the other big thing, Joan spoke about dark sky compliance. Um, A lot of these 
municipalities are getting really strict. Laguna Beach, where we're from, is you can't have any uplight on a new home. Um, so it gives you controllability. LEDs, I mean, we could build a fixture with an uplight and a downlight that you can easily just turn off, or you know, we could eliminate it. That would be the mechanical way of doing it, but it could be done from an intelligence way. So there's, there, it's a more intelligent light source, but I think for us, being more on the decorative side, it's about embracing the technology and building thin, clean, modern forms that you couldn't do when you were housing a big light bulb. In, in, that, in that conversation, one of the issues that I've had with outdoor lighting moving from incandescent to, to that is the color quality, mm. right? Because I'm still, I guess I'm 30 years in business, I'm sort of old school, and I like the softness and the, the, the warmth of um, an incandescent light. And I've, I still find I struggle with the light quality of these new lights. It's, it's a great point, and I think we're doing a good job of giving our customers, uh, you know, we offer 2,700K, 3,000K, 3,500K, 4,000K with varying CRIs and quality of light, but it's a really good point. I mean, to preserve, if you're really talking about blurring indoor and outdoor, you know, historically, there's this boundary set where you walk outdoor and it's almost like you've got security lights. It gets really bright. The color temperature is usually a lot cooler and it doesn't, you, you kill the romance. Um, if you can do 2700K, which is usually what's going on inside or 24, I and mean, sometimes you guys go even warmer, um, and then have that controllable outside. So when you needed the romance, you have the 2700 option or warmer. And if you want, you know, if you're trying to play sports or basketball game outside, you can turn it up to a more utility light. But that's a great point. So cannabis, I want to ask you guys this question because I'm, I'm curious about it. State of California, cannabis is legal. Are you finding that a lot of your customers are now looking for smoking areas to their homes, whether it's a cigar you know, room that turned into a marijuana den, or are you finding outdoors is sort of now a new way for these, uh, your customers to be happy? Good how do, question. How do you approach that question, Joan? I'll ask you that one first. Me? Yeah, you! That's funny. Uh, we don't have many clients that smoke, to tell you the truth, but I do have one. We just did create a cigar room powder room. It's totally outside the box. But um, no, I don't really have people who've, who've asked me for that. I, I, I haven't. I, I have a lot of people in the wellness area. Right. Not maybe They're rubbing CBDs in more than they're smoking. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. But... I can see that happening as a lounge. I mean, for yeah. sure, like the hookah lounge coming for. back. Yeah. What do you What do you think about that? I have nothing to add on that topic. <laughs> I, I, no, I, we don't do lighting I for. This is a great question. I like the question. I like the question. I think our clients don't smoke any longer. They eat them. It's all edibles now. It's. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, you guys are phenomenal. You, you do such great work, obviously, with design and the community. So five years from now, where do you see indoor-outdoor going? I'll ask you that question. I think it's going to be mostly around material exploration, um, finding the most resilient materials that still look good. Obviously, wood is extremely resilient when it's a tree growing in the ground. Once you cut it down, it's not. We've all gotten that beautiful teak furniture and then in two months it's completely grayed. So I think it's finding materials that preserve the indoor 
indoor feel outside. And then as the technology continues to improve, we don't know where it's going to go. I mean, LEDs were in the wild, wild west 10 years ago. Now they're becoming the established norm. We don't know what's going to come along next, but I think it will be a lot more controllable. I'm, I'm a big believer in analog. I think there's an unnecessary kind of obsession with smart things that don't need to be smart. Um, so I think it's really, as designers and specifiers, it's our responsibility to use technology responsibly and not use it unnecessarily. But for me, I think it's mostly around materials and then just embracing the new technologies as they come along. How about you, Duan? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I, we're starting to see a little bit, even in some of our projects, the flip between the notion of indoor-outdoor being more outdoor-indoor. And in that, um, you know, the notion that our clients are looking to bring more of the outside authentically inside, having indoor atriums, literally planting a tree in their house. Um, my, my sense is it's just people are looking to open their houses up much more so to the outside. People aren't interested in um, living in air-conditioned boxes anymore. It's just not what, it is, what it's about. It's not about um, a healthy lifestyle. It's not about all those things that allow those, them to really live on the land. And so my sense is that a lot of it is going to be geared more towards people embracing the outside and even minimizing the sense of being inside, which is a little bit of a flip for us. Stephen? I think something completely different is, is coming in the next five years, and that's, uh, everybody may have some sense of it now, but our trees are dying mm -hmm. all over California. Yeah. Um, you know, arborists are telling us to not plant any of the trees that we're planting now. Uh, olive trees are dying. Uh, pines are dying. Almost every tree, except for Podocarpus, is one of the yep. only trees that is resistant to oak root fungus. And um, so it's really a challenge. I don't know what's really going to happen. I'm now having to tell my clients, look, we can, you know, we, we're big in Mediterranean design. So we, we bring in 50 to 100 year old olive trees and because you can, you can sit under them day one. You, and you put a beautiful chandelier, which I'm looking for, <laughs> that can be wet. Um, and um, I now have to tell them, look, I don't know how long this tree is going to last. Mm -hmm. uh, olive trees have something called, get something called xylella, which is from the glassy wing sharpshooter. And there you see them all over town, and the big chunks of the trees are dying. Uh, Cal uh, uh, California peppers are dying. So I'm not really sure in five years what it's going to look like here. Yeah, it's, it's a really big, changing. big problem. It's really changing. I mean, just my own citrus trees. I saw something on it this year that I've never, it looked, you might know what it was, but I'd never seen it before. It was the weirdest fungus, and we've gotten rid of it, but we haven't been able to grow oranges in two years. They just keep splitting and splitting and splitting because the water, the drought, there's right. no balance right. to that. And so right. it is. Yeah, it's, it's really a big problem. So now we're getting, everyone wants to live outdoors, and I'm not sure what they're going to live with. Yeah. outdoors. We're also finding the same thing that people are bringing, building big atriums. Uh, and we do interior plants and flowers as well. And increasingly people want exterior plants. Historically they would get tropical plants that would go indoors. Now they want, they want it seamless from the outside. They want the olive tree outside. They want the olive tree inside. Yeah. And if they can't, if it won't live for a long time, they'll replace it. So it's very interesting how that's happening. But, but the future of the landscape is really, I think, a, a huge issue. I think science has to get involved, you know? I mean, what's happening, so 
we're very energy conscious and we're chemical conscious here in California. So we've taken everything that's toxic as much as possible out of the products that we make. But because of that, they break down. There's no asbestos, which is great, but things don't hold together. So you get six months when you used to get five years out of something. We have no VOCs in our paint, but we're painting wood. Once wood is off the tree, it, it starts to die. And when you paint it, you basically you're putting a mulch on it. You're, you're encouraging it to decay, which is attracting bugs, which is attracting mold, which means everything's falling off your house and your paint doesn't last more than eight months. Coatings on decks don't last more than a season. I mean, it's, we can't guarantee anything. We put things in, we go, by the way, this might fail. And, it's, and so it's a difficult situation because we're following code and we're following Title 24 and we're following the health and wellness of everyone around us, but we're not able to guarantee our work in the way that we used to be able to. So I think science has to get involved in a way that it never has before, at least in California. I, I totally agree with you guys. Well, and anything else you want to add to this great conversation? Did we forget anything? We were going to open up questions to, the, to these fine designers afterwards. So come on up and ask some questions. I want to thank Stephen. I want to thank Duan. I want to thank Brett and Joan for being a part of today's discussion. Thank you. And feel free to come on up. Do you have any questions for me? No? No, we're happy you're, we're happy you're here. <laughs> you I invite, thought my you canvas question us. was going to go a lot It was a great away. question. We'll follow up with about the canvas. I think you threw us. I think uh, we're still, we're still recovering from that question. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank, you. Right, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you, Chris, Stephen, Joan, Duan, and Brett. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support. Thank you, West Edge Design Fair, for having us out. Thank you for listening, downloading every episode, and engaging on the socials. Please follow the show and stay up to date on where we'll be at convobydesign.com and at convobydesign with an X on Instagram. If you're not yet subscribing, please do. You can find the show everywhere you find your favorite podcasts or simply ask Alexa or Siri, say, hey Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. Now playing podcast Convo by Design. And she will. Be well. And until next week, keep creating.